While they're going out, you can take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter number 7. Ephesians, or I'm sorry, there are no seven chapters. <laughs> Ephesians 4, we're going to look at verse number 7 in just a minute. If you're visiting with us, I do know my Bible. So, <laughs> <laughs> promise. This week and next week, I want to speak on a couple topics that have been on my mind, and then following that, I would like to jump back into the book of Luke for a little bit. Um, if you are visiting, we typically go through the Bible verse by verse, and uh, we'll be getting back into that in a little while. Sermon titled, uh, Servants or Spectators. And I don't know about you, but my heart is full already just listening to what God's doing in Ukraine and Poland and listening to Jesse's testimony. I know a little bit longer section than normally uh, we have, but it's such a blessing to hear these testimonies and see what the Lord is doing. For several decades, there's been a growing trend toward making worship services as non-participatory as possible. It began with the, the seeker movement in the 1980s. Churches became a place where music was a show, something that you watched instead of participated in. And so for a lot of churches, congregational music was jettisoned. By the way, we still believe in congregational music. The saints sing together. It's from, from Genesis to Revelation in all the eternity future, the saints will be singing together. Music, Congregational music was jettisoned. Uh, you wanted the biggest name you could up on the platform. I, I had a friend one time brag to me that their worship team included somebody that was on American Idol. Uh, comedy skits were added to the service. Uh, giant props were, were put in. Cars and motorcycles were driven onto platforms. And even in a few churches gigantic, larger-than-life beds. When this era of church history is in the rearview mirror, I think historians will most likely see the zenith of this uh, easy-come, easy-go movement as being able to stream the service at home in your pajamas. A lot of the people who came to these kind of churches decided it's far easier to stay at home than it is to come to the church. If you want to stunt the spiritual growth of a church, if you want to limit evangelism and rob the saints of their ministries, then limit the ministry to paid staff. The whole premise behind modern churches is to make as few demands on people as possible, which is the exact 180 degrees out of sync with Jesus Christ. What he constantly tells people, count the cost, right? Count the costs. The problem is at least twofold. First of all, spirit, it's spiritually deadly. It kills a church. Secondly, it turns people into hearers and not doers. In his very first message, his very first public sermon recorded in Scripture, Jesus condemned people who were hearers and not doers. He said this. He said, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came, fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And so you have across the United States thousands of churches whose job is to, or whose, whose 
focus of ministry is to do the exact opposite of what Jesus just said here. The Bible teaches that every believer is called to be a minister of some sort. Each of us have unique gifts given by God for edification of the church. Listen to Romans chapter 12, verse number 6. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Now note that phrase. Look at it again. The grace given to us. We're going to hear that phrase again in just a moment. Let us then use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Brother and sister, you are gifted by God. You are gifted by God And you are given to the church to serve the church. The New Testament uses several images to describe the church. Paul primarily portrays the church as a body, doesn't he? It's a living organism. Each member of the body has a unique role. And you as a member of the body have a unique role. You are important to the life of the body. In fact, We are so connected to the body, and you are so connected to the body, and we are so interconnected that Paul said this, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, haven't you experienced that when one member of your body is suffering, you're suffering? We all have, haven't we? And it can be the tiniest member of our body. I remember one time, a personal experience I had with that. I was, I was in Taekwondo class, and, and we would spar. And I was sparring a black belt. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be impressive on this black belt. And I spun around to do a kick. And when I landed on my left foot, everybody in their whole class heard the snap. Only it wasn't a giant bone that snapped. I had ended up what was called a Jones fracture. And a Jones fracture, see that little bitty bone on the outside of your foot? See that little bitty fracture? It's that little bitty bone on the foot. Now, the thing about a Jones fracture is that you can't put any weight on it. Even though it's a tiny little bone, the doctor said you have to completely mobilize the foot. And the problem with it is blood has a hard time getting to that, and it's a slow healer. So for two months after that, God reminded me that I'm not as young as I used to be, and I shouldn't be trying anything foolish. But um, it's, it's... it's, by the way, it's the only thing I have in common with Kevin Durant, in case you're wondering. He had a Jones fracture, so he and I have something in common. In any church, when there are non-functioning members, the active members become overextended and the effectiveness of the whole body greatly suffers. Even the most insignificant member If you consider yourself the fifth metatarsal bone of the church, you are designed to play a vital role in the church. And if all of this is true, and it is, by the way, that we are are made for the church, then the question I have that I want to ask you today is this. Are you a servant in the church, or are you just simply a spectator? By the way, I'm going to throw this out. 
Jesus said spectators are not legitimate parts of the church. Didn't he? If you're here and not a doer, are you a servant or a spectator? As my introduction, let's stand together and we'll read the passage, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse number 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. There's that phrase. Did you catch it? Grace given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building of the body of Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this amazing passage. It is so rich and so deep, we could spend weeks on it, on the amazing riches of Jesus Christ. I pray that you will speak to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I ask with gratitude and thanksgiving that we will seek to serve you and your church in an even greater degree. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you so much. This is one of the most important doctrinal passages regarding body life in the church that there is. I'm going to walk through it very quickly. And so we look at verse number 7, and I want you to notice, first of all, that Christ apportioned grace to every Christian. Verse number 7 tells us that grace is given to each one of us. Now, where have we heard that phrase before? Remember, we heard it over in, in Romans chapter 12, didn't we? Where the, the grace is given to us. And that grace is given to us in measure. It says, according to the measure of Christ's gifts. In other words, the gifts are not the same. The gifts are different, and each gift is given in a different proportion to each individual. But as grace is given to you, God gives it in such a way that it pleases Him. Now you think about it. We don't all look alike, do we? You're looking at me saying, thank the Lord. We don't all speak alike. We don't serve alike. But don't miss this. All Christians are given gifts by the grace of God. Even though we are all gifts, we don't all have the same gifts. Although we are all given gifts, we don't have the same gifts. But God was pleased when he gave you the exact measure of gifts that he gave you. Isn't that something wonderful to rest in? Because what do we like to do? We like to compare, don't we? We're not to compare. We're to look above and say, God, thank you for what you gave me. And then, and I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, then he takes this whole jumble of, of gifts and he throws them together in a body and makes them function so that God is pleased by the way 
for example, Providence Bible Church functions because he has put this combination of gifts together here. Isn't that wonderful? The second thing that we see, and this, this is exciting. I wish I could take a whole sermon on this point. Number two, look at verses 8 to 10. These gifts came from our victorious king. Now, this, these verses, 8 to 10, are oftentimes misunderstood and people trip over them. And I, I want to read it with you together. Look at verse number 8. Therefore, it says. Now, what is it? It is Psalm 68, 18. It's a quotation, and this is what he said. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, what on earth did he just say? It looks like a mouthful. In reality, it's very simple, but at the same time, it's extremely profound. And it's a huge blessing. I was excited just reading about this this week. In ancient times, victorious kings would go back to their home cities, their capital cities, and they would march and they would have a victory parade. And oftentimes, the ancient king, if he was generous to his subjects, he would shower the subjects of his capital city with gifts, the spoils of war. And Paul says that Jesus, as a victorious king, showers his subjects with gifts. What kind of victory did Jesus win? Well, the Bible says that he went down to the lower regions of the earth. Let me simplify this for you. It simply means he came to earth, he incarnated. It's the 33, 36 years he spent on the earth. He came down to the lower regions. He lived on earth. He, he died on the cross and he rose again and therefore he conquered Satan, he conquered death, he conquered sin, and in triumph, what did he do from the Mount of Olives? He returned to heaven on the throne, and he, he is seated at the right hand of God, and he, he um, took with him those who were once sinners and prisoners of Satan. You know who that is? you and me. If we are alive when he comes back, he will gather us with himself. The captives. Were we captive to sin before salvation? Isn't that wonderful? What a wonderful picture that is. If you die before the Lord comes back, one day he will come back and you will get your resurrected body and you will go back up to, with him bodily to heaven to be with him forever you who were dead in trespasses and sins who were captive to satan who were captive to sin you're no longer a slave to sin you've been released and and you'll go to heaven but for now he has distributed gifts to his subjects and you and i are his subjects and I, the question then remains what are these gifts that he's talking about well that would be verse number 11 
Look at verse number 11. He says, and he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. And so here are some gifts. These are gifts. These first gifts are the gifts given to minister the word of God. That's their function. Apostles. Who were the apostles? You remember them? They were the 12. Apostles were chosen to be the foundation stones of the church. They, the, 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 the foundation being the words that they wrote, the testimony that they gave. We have scriptures of the, that were written by the apostles. They, the apostleship ceased to exist when the original apostles died, but they still teach us today how. How? By the written word. They're still teaching us today. They're still ministering the word. They're foundational. And so we learn from the apostles by reading the writing. There's another group mentioned, the prophets. The prophets were closely linked to the apostles. They helped explain and apply the Old Testament scriptures, as well as in certain cases, pronounce new revelation from God. Now, the prophets never wrote down scripture. It was not inscripturated, but sometimes they would reveal new things from the Lord in, in verbal form to people. Not very often. Most of the time, what they did is explain and apply Scripture. But since the Bible is complete, we have no need for the office of prophet. Then we have another group, the evangelists. Evangelists, let's just think of them as akin to missionaries. And, and they worked under and with the apostles a lot of times these evangelists were sent out by the apostles somewhere. And so they're modern-day missionaries. Since they worked alongside and under the apostles, guess what? That office, that's an office, no longer exists. Now, we are all to evangelize, but the official apostleship and, and um, prophets and evangelism functions uh, is no longer there, evangelists. But there is one that is here today. And that's the last person, and that is the shepherd teachers. Now, I want you to notice your translation. Uh, the ESV says the shepherds and teachers. Some of your Bibles say pastors and teachers, and some translations say pastor teachers. So what, what gives here? I'm going to dive into the woods um, and, and go into the woods for just a minute. Um, it seems most likely that shepherd, teacher is the same office, okay? The reason for that is it's in the, the language that the Bible was written in. In the language the Bible was written in, the definite article is before the word shepherd and the and in the original. It's not as true, same in English, kind of connects, the uh, teacher aspect to the shepherd aspect. And so the word uh, behind pastor literally means shepherd. So the ESV has the literal translation of the word, which is shepherd. But so much of the time, we hear the word pastor. Now, where did the word pastor come from? Well, it came from Latin. Remember that the official language of the Roman Catholic Church, and many churches actually other than the Roman Catholic Church, was Latin. And the word for shepherd had, had a, a, as its root the word pastoral or pastor. And so, so shepherds became pastors. 
Churches started calling their leaders pastors because of this. And this word combination, shepherd-teacher, sums up the ministry that pastors are primarily shepherds. I am primarily a shepherd. Now question, how do I primarily shepherd a flock? Answer, I teach. Pastor-teacher. See how that works together? Um, the purpose of this, um, the pastor is to teach. Now look at verse number 11 again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to whom? To whom did he give these gifts? To the church, right? To the church. Now what is the purpose? What is the purpose? He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers to the church for what purpose? Verse number 12. To equip the saints. The King James says for the perfecting of the saints, doesn't it? It's for, to equip the saints. So there are three results of these, these word ministers, these word uh, servants given to the church, these word gifts. There's three results of what they've done for the church. Number one, they equip the saints. The sum, by the way, that is the sum of my job description. My job is to help bring you to maturity, to grow in Christ. So if you ask me what my goal in ministry is, what do I say? My goal is to take the saints that God has given under me as a shepherd and bring them to maturity. That's my job. Now notice what it isn't. My job isn't to fill this building. That's not my job description. My job, understand this right, my job description isn't even to see people get saved. Although that's a function that all of us are doing, right? We're evangelizing. My simple job description is equip the saints. By the way, the apostles had the same goal. Look at, oh, you don't have to turn there, Colossians 1.28. Paul said, him we proclaim, warning everyone and what? Teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone how? Mature in Christ. There's that maturity level, that maturity aspect again. The pastor, the evangelist, the prophet, the apostle were all given to the church to see the church grow to maturity. That's the goal. That's the job description. Let me put it another way. <clears throat> the pastor is not called to organize He's not called to run programs. He's not called to cast a vision. Do you know what my vision should be? You want to know what my vision should be? The Bible. Whatever God calls, that's the vision, isn't it? I'm not called to knock on doors. I'm not called to visit everyone. Of course, we do these things. We visit we, we, we evangelize, and we do all these things, 
But the primary function of the pastor-teacher is to bring members to maturity. That's it. That's, that's primary. In fact, let me give you something else. To draw a large crowd who, who leave the service on Sunday mornings having loved the show, but the people are not spiritually mature, makes that pastor a failure, no matter how many thousands are in his congregation. He's a failure. And so much of what's done in the church today is to draw a giant crowd. As a matter of fact, that's again, that's opposite of Jesus. Some of these things in the modern church are opposite of Jesus Christ. What happened in John chapter 6? His teaching was so tough, what does the Bible say? So many people left him of the massive crowds. He looked at his own disciples and said, are you going to leave too? Remember that? Everybody left him. Happened to Paul. Everybody left Paul too. And so um, this is the primary function. How, now, how does a pastor bring people to maturity? 2 Timothy 4 gives us a little insight. Look at what Paul said to Timothy. Who, Timothy was a pastor. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. How? With patience and teaching. Isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Jesus was so patient. He told his disciples for three solid years that he was going to die, and he was going to rise again the third day, and on Resurrection Sunday, they still didn't get it. Should I expect anything more? <laughs> they got the Holy Spirit. They got it. I'm joking with you. So. <clears throat> he, he did not charge Timothy to give talks. He didn't charge Timothy to give sermonettes or dramas. He charged Timothy to give good doctrine, good teaching, something that when the people left, they could take it with them during the week. In fact, Paul said in 1 Timothy 4.6, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Listen, being trained by the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Do you see it? There's another commendation. Know the word. Jesse said it. Jesse said today that reading the word and understanding the word transformed your life, didn't it? And the preaching of the word of God, verse by verse, book by book, chapter by chapter, transforms God's people when they obey it and do it. And this is only accomplished when a pastor spends time in the study, a lot of time, mining the riches of God's Word. This is, a, this is an everyday occurrence. Every day, the pastor needs to decide, what am I called to do? What is the most important thing that I do? And the pastor, by and large, needs to be in the study, studying God's Word, praying for the flock, seeing them grow, thinking about, okay, where do they need to grow maturity, in this area 
or that area. And to do anything else is not pleasing to the Lord. Have you ever had this experience? It's getting late. You really need to get the kids to bed. But the room is a disaster. You say, okay, pick up your toys. Because we need to get to bed. And little Susie, you know, being the great child that she is, goes and helps change little brother's clothes, but doesn't pick up the house or pick up the room where they left all their toys. Now, did they obey or did they not? Did, did Susie help what you needed done or not? And the answer is she didn't do what's pleasing. And so a pastor who is spending all his time outside the office, you know what's going to happen? The people are going to absolutely love him. But you know what else is going to be true? That's going to be a shallow flock. And you know what you're going to find in that flock? You're going to find backbiting. You're going to find gossiping. You're going to find a lack of unity. And you're going to find all kinds of problems. We know of a pastor who spends all his time helping the people. The people love him to death. And his preaching is, is awful. I'm, there's no other way to say it. I know that sounds harsh. It's wrong a lot of times what he says because he doesn't spend time in the study. The pastor needs to do what God called him to do. So shepherds <clears throat> feed the flock the word of God. They preach it, they teach it, they rebuke with it, and they encourage with it. And, and this makes sense. What are Christians according to 2 Corinthians 5.17? We all know this verse, right? If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He's a new creature, new creation. Okay? Now, how does a new creation grow? Colossians 3.10 tells us, and uh, put on the new self, which is being renewed. How? The new self is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so learning about Jesus Christ renews the new creation and causes that new creation to grow. Saints grows are fed by the word of God. Now, this marks the 33rd year of ministry for me. 33rd year. You know what I've never done? And this is not to pat on the back, by the way. This is just to tell you, I have never asked the Lord for a larger church. Never. Never, never. My daily prayer is for God to grow his saints. Because that's what we're called to do. Now, what is the result? This gets good. The result is this. The saints, they perform the ministry. The, the saints perform the ministry. Look at verse number 12. It's very simple. It says, to equip the saints for what? I'm equipping you for the ministry. See, you are called to the ministry. The pastor is to mature the saints, to equip them to do the work of the ministry. The ministry is done by you. A lot of people think that the pastor does everything. But again, that's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. It's, it's 180 degrees out of the Bible. The gifted men 
do not do the work of the ministry. They concentrate on the word. They perfect the saints, and the saints do the work of serving one another. Now, let's be honest. Some of you, doesn't that rub you the wrong way just a little bit? you got to admit it does. I've had pushback over the years for saying this. And, and I have church members because the culture of the church through the years has been what? That the pastor does everything. You always call the pastor, the pastor, the pastor, the pastor, the pastor. But that, that is not what the Bible says. And, and so people push back against that. Now, um, and so the gift of men concentrate on the word. They perfect the saints. So you are ministers. Every single one of you who are in Jesus Christ are called to serve one another. And according to 1 Peter 4, we won't read the passage, but according to 1 Peter 4, there are two basic types of gifts that you are given. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. Every Christian has a spiritual task. Every week, every week you should be engaged in some sort of spiritual ministry. Every week you should be engaged in service to the the body. Your gifts are not for you. Your gifts are for someone else. If you don't minister, somebody else doesn't benefit. So the pastor-teacher equips the saints. The saints do the ministry, and this is God's design. This is how God's God works. And so to limit the ministry to a paid staff will kill the true ministry of the church. Why? It, it, common sense tells you why. I don't know how many people are out here today. There are, we don't have enough money to pay enough staff to minister to this whole flock. Makes sense, right? And so if the flock sits there and waits for paid staff, paid ministers to minister to them, what happens? Ministry doesn't get done. It's it's impossible for it to do. It stunts the growth of the church. And so when it comes to ministry, this is interesting. When it comes to ministry, there's really no difference between you and me. Have you ever thought about that? You're no different from me. I'm just one of you. I just happen to have certain gifts. I happen to manifest those gifts in this fashion where I stand up here and preach the gospel. It's no different than you. It's not for me to do visitation of the sick any more than it's for you to do the visitation of the sick, right? We're all in this together. It's not for me to do the working and discipling of new Christians any more than it is for you. It's not for me anymore to follow up people with problems and counsel them than it is for you to follow up people and counsel them. It's not more for me to pray for people than it is for you. You're to be praying for people. Physical provision, showing love for one another, Reaching people with the gospel, that isn't my work, that's your work. I'm one of you and we do it together. Isn't that beautiful? And so if we, can't, if we equip the saints and the saints do the ministry, what happens? 
What happens? That's the last thing. The body is built up. The body is built up to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. I want you to think about something. Who else said that they build the church? Do you remember Matthew? Jesus did, didn't he? He said, you are Peter, and upon this rock, I will build my church. So look at this again. For the building up of the body of Christ. And so when we do all, when we all do our part and the, the whole church matures, when we minister to each other, <clears throat> when we serve one another, when we use our gifts toward one another, then the whole body grows to maturity and God's will is fulfilled. And now, now that is the growth of completion. We want a mature church, don't we? I do. Don't we want a church that can stand up in this world and represent Jesus Christ? I do. It's going to come if we equip the saints, and the saints do the work in the ministry, the body will be built up. And here's the thing. Jesus said, I will build my church. So think, 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 think. That means that if you're ministering, no matter how it is, Christ is working through you. Isn't that what you want? Christ working through you? The types and the variety of ministries in this church alone are numerous. Dozens and dozens of ways. For example, there are ministries here in the building on the Lord's Day, and there are ministries away from here. There are formal ministries here that have titles and organization, and there are informal ministries but the vast majority of them are service gifts, service ministries. There are also ministries that need to start. There are ministries that need to start. You ask, do I know what they are? No, because I don't know what God's laying on your heart. Seriously, I don't. Somebody proposed to the elders that we have a ministry to cancer patients. I'm all for that. How can we show the love of Christ to people with cancer? Isn't that wonderful? God raises people up to see needs and wants to meet needs. Now, we have vital ministries on Sunday that could use more volunteers. Christy could use more volunteers, couldn't you? Children's ministry. I mean, how great is that to train the next generation we, we, we really, now you see them leave and it looks like it's really smooth, and it is smooth. We have a need. You want to know what our need is? Our need is to break the children's groups into smaller groups. Smaller groups to have more, uh, to, to have uh, teaching in smaller groups. But in order to do that, we need more volunteers. There, there's room to help with Vacation Bible School. Rachel still needs some more volunteers for Vacation Bible School, right? Sign up is out on the left. There's a, there's a, you can all say more about that in a minute. Um, there's room to help in the men's ministry. There's room to help in the nursery. We're, we're trying to, to beef up the welcome team. Maybe you say to yourself, well, I'm more of a physical helper. Well, we have a fellowship meal. Did you know that there's a team of people that set up all the chairs and tables for the fellowship meal? I mean, can you do that? Can everybody carry a chair? Maybe that's what you, you feel called to do. By the way, 
I'll, I'll pause because you're thinking, well, that's just a meal. No, it's not. I've been here four years. In, this fall will be four years. And I've talked to a number of people who were introduced. I think, Mike, weren't you introduced to a church at a fellowship meal? Is, is that you guys? Maybe I'm wrong. Okay, never mind. Don't listen to Mike. Look at me. <laughs> Keep your eyes up here, not him shaking no. So I talked to somebody. I thought it was somebody on the worship team. But I've talked to a number of people who their introduction was at the fellowship meal, and sometimes people became friends and, and things were made. These are important things that we do. And you can help just by setting up chairs. Ministries outside of, of Sunday are, are vital too. Houses to host small groups, teachers to teach small groups, visiting shut-ins. One of the great ones that we have is the transportation ministry. Have you gotten the sign-up genius about that? That's a wonderful blessing. The, the, body, the Bible tells us that when we minister to widows, God is pleased, right? That's an important ministry. We're, we're getting the Redeem Network ministry for foster families off the ground. I'm so excited about that, that we're going to have a footprint outside the church that way. We're getting, um, I'm praying, this is one thing I'm praying, I'll make it public, I, I've, I share it with our prayer people, that we get a Spanish ministry going. We desperately need Spanish ministry. God will, he'll raise up somebody who says, you know what, I'll, get, I'll start help get that going. It doesn't have to be an official channel in the church. Now, there are many ministries that you can perform that don't need an official title. But it would be helpful if you check with the leadership because we have had duplications of the same thing going on at the same time. People didn't know it. That's a good thing to check. Check to see about that. If, is God laying a minister in your heart? Is there a ministry need that you, have, that, that you see that we don't have that you could do? Maybe you're thinking of something right now. That's not a coincidence. It could be the Holy Spirit speaking to you right now saying, you know what? You can get that going. I want to leave you with this. I want you to think about how incredible it is that Christ said, I will build my church. The church will keep growing and remain through eternity. And what Christ did, the perfect one, who does all things perfect, is he said, I'm going to build my church. And then he looks at a bunch of imperfect people and he says, hey, have at it. I'm going to build through you. That is incredible. If you really think about how awesome that is, that the king of the universe will use little old me. And when I say that, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting you to think that about yourself. To build this church. Teenagers. Children. Adults. Retirees. And here's the thing, and then close. When you use your gifting, Christ is glorified. Why? Because the body is built up. It's matured. Wonderful. Lord, I thank you for this passage. Doctrinally, it is a rich, rich passage of Scripture. It's such an encouraging Scripture as well, Lord that you use your humble creation to build your church. Lord, I, I don't know 
what you are speaking to hearts right now. But I do know this, that when members use their gifts, the church is healthy. And when members don't use their gifts and rely upon paid staff, the church is not healthy. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us will use our gifting for each other's good and for God's glory. In Christ's name, amen.